Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Welcome to the 122nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser, ad hoc blogger on Twitter, and I am joined as always by Evan Hill at Evan and SEA. How you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well, dude. I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm happy to be here. We'll, we'll, we have a lot to talk about. Um, also, a fan favorite. New this year taken over this pod in terms of popularity and people asking even before the show started, is she going to be on at Dana OG, Dana O'Gorman? Welcome. How are you? Well, thank you. That was quite an introduction. Um, yeah, good. Ready for Thanksgiving, ready to watch two somewhat decent games. <laughs> I'm really sad about the Ravens did they replace, game. Did they replace the third game or no? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, the Seahawks are playing tomorrow now. Did oh, you stop that? it. Stop <laughs> it. It's kind of a bummer that they didn't do that, but whatever. They couldn't do anything about that. Um, they could have the Huskies playing some. Oh, wait, they're not playing anyone either. Um, uh, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons, speak to us, Jeff. Well, I knew you weren't talking about me when you said fan favorite. So oh. untrue untrue when you're not on the show everyone's always asking about you so none of this canadian self-pity stuff like show well, some pride dude i'm gonna be a honorary american tomorrow i am taking the day off of work i'm watching football i'm celebrating the u.s thanksgiving 
but they canceled the third game. So that sucks. And it sucks for you guys on the West Coast time because a game at 9, 30, and then one, and then you're done. Like, I'm pissed I'm losing my night game. You guys lose the whole day. You guys have to talk to your families now. (laughs) I I just want to take a moment to say, Jeff, you sound so crisp and so clear right now. It is amazing. I'm like the uh, Pete Carroll. It took me like nine years to just do basic, <laughs> basic uh, adjustments. Did uh, you guys see I shared uh, episode one in our group chat oh this past week? Brian, did you take a look at it? Oh, oh yeah. I laughed so hard. The first 45 <laughs> seconds were like Jeff's computer, like playing some like random, <laughs> random sound. It, it was funny. It was good. We've come a long way, guys. Yeah, I even got the background now. Uh, I got a, a microphone that works. Yeah, it took me a while to adjust. These we're, we're a little slow in Canada, so I'm finally catching up with you guys. These are your patron dollars at work. So, <laughs> uh, you know, almost, in fact, I would say every dollar that gets donated plus uh, what my family and I add onto it goes to, to um, charity. But we do find some some money to actually improve the show. And one of the ways we try to improve the show is we're trying to bootstrap Jeff as much as possible. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, we've got a stylist working with him. We've got like, you know, yeah, yeah, we asked him to shave. Like we got a new razor for him, all sorts of stuff. And Jeff, you're not looking like an Oompa Loompa this week. I know. I I I just want you to know that. Dude, random dude, if you're listening, who commented, Jeff, you look like an Oompa Loompa, or why does Jeff look like look like an Oompa Loompa? I want you to know, I personally laughed about that for Me multiple too. hours. Me it was too. funny. I appreciate a good joke and a good chirp, and that that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some requests coming in from the chat, Jeff, and this is this is not intentional that we've set it up this way, but you happen to be in the lower right-hand corner, depending on your perspective of the screen. So if, if you potentially could move over a little bit, um, that would, there you go. Because there's actually a real Hawk Talk logo um, on the stream that, that covers part of your face. I thought that was a feature, not a bug, but apparently people would like to see your face. So I so, thought you wanted to cover my face. That's yeah, it, it, I, I had plans. They've clearly been overruled by, by the audience. So right. you guys are nicer than I would be, but. I, I am fascinated that you are celebrating American Thanksgiving. Why are you doing that? I think it's one of the great holidays of all time. I do. Uh, what? Tell me why. I just think the concept of it is great. I think, well, typically in, in most situations, the thing I know about Americans is that you guys are really spread around the country and you guys can move a lot freer than we can. Cause in Canada, there's like three good cities to live in. Like Evans moved to Arizona. And I always thought the idea of like everyone getting together to watch football and eat incredible food for, I know there's some issues with Turkey, but a lot of the other Thanksgiving food sound pretty good and, and you get to watch football day be with your families and get some great food i've always thought it's pretty cool and we don't have that here so jeff have you ever had a true american thanksgiving meal no good because it's highly overrated I oh my it. god you know no your mouth no right it is now. highly overrated I, will, I have the ability to remove you from this podcast <laughs> by a click of a button i will absolutely do it that is so far across the line. I've never been more offended by anything you've said. Is turkey good or bad, Brian? Turkey is not the point. Turkey is like the main focus. Turkey is not the point. It is a vehicle for the mashed potatoes, 
So it's or like the, the offensive line. Or the can we gravy? just say? Can we just say fuck turkey and let's make steaks? Can we just do that? I think uh, I would agree with that. Like red meat oh, is better than turkey. Let's just. You need to respect tradition. You need to respect tradition. So turkey is turkey is fine. It does its job. It's like it's like bread in a sandwich. Bread is not always amazing. It's just there to contain all the things that are in it and like it's what's between the bread that makes it great that's what turkey i'm just trying to say that christmas dinner is better than thanksgiving dinner not for the jews no it's not (laughs) not interested in your ham you can keep it so ham ham is bad no but 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 before we get into the seahawks this is super important and and first of all happy thanksgiving to you know pre-thanksgiving to everybody um who's uh, in the u.s or who celebrates but one of the things I love, there's lots of things I love about Thanksgiving. It is by far my favorite holiday. It is the best meal of the year. Called out for saying that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I love about it, like I'm going to try to not make this too long of a monologue, but I love that it is a family holiday that brings all the screwed up members of families together and all the family BS gets, gets like concentrated into a day and it's super uncomfortable for most people. I love that. I love that. I love the food, first of all, second of all. But I also love that it is not a religious holiday. It is not a holiday based off of giving gifts. It is a holiday where you have a meal. It's about the food and it's about the people and it's about being thankful and it's non-denominational. So it's just like, it is a fantastic unifying holiday and it's built around watching football too. And like spending the day on the couch, like with your pants unbuttoned. I don't know, Dana, if you do this as well, but this is definitely a thing for the guys. So, so like, I think Thanksgiving is as good as it gets. I wish there could be Thanksgiving like week instead of Thanksgiving day. In fact, if I was president, that would be the first thing I would potentially do. Um, It's a fantastic holiday. I absolutely love it. Ryan, what is your go-to dish? What is your top Thanksgiving dish? I need to know. The number one of number ones for me would be, uh, it's, it's a sweet potato casserole, but it's with brown sugar and pecans. And it is, it is. Oh God, Evan. (laughs) Sweet potato casserole. Oh yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I I love I love stuffing as well. Mm-hmm. But stuffing to me is a little bit like milk toast. Like it's 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 it does its job, but it, what does this hate on stuffing? No, here's the where thing. is this we, coming from? We did a taste test last year. I, I absolutely dominated my wife in this contest. She was like, stuffing, it's gotta have all the like fancy, like give me the, you know, toppings and the special like filling of it, all this crazy stuff. We did three different stuffings. Mine, stovetop. You know which one was gone? The stovetop. So she now has completely relented. She knows that the only stuffing that matters is stovetop. Absolutely. So I don't know. I don't know where you are on this. Stuffing is good. I, I don't good. discriminate against stuffing. Stuffing is one of the best Thanksgiving dishes. I don't I don't think it's I don't think that's uh, controversial. People are all. concerned that I've dominated my wife. Now, mashed potatoes <laughs> are highly overrated, but we can discuss that later. 
So I'm going tomorrow. I'm going a little different. I'm going uh, garlic, cream cheese, garlic, mashed potatoes. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. I would, I might fly up just for that. You're not welcome. I don't I, uh, I'm making myself welcome. Even if there wasn't a pandemic, I don't know what you'd be bringing with you. I, would be I know where you live. I'm showing up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, okay. Uh, it is a little bit weird, right? Like another weird 2020 situation. We've got Thanksgiving going on. Usually, you know, we've gotten to the point where there's three football games, except now there's two. Because of COVID, the Ravens games got moved out. So there's only two games tomorrow. Neither one of them are particularly interesting. Um, I think the Red, uh, the Washington football team, sorry, almost said the wrong words. Um, they're playing. So there's a little bit of interest there because the Seahawks are going to play them and, you know, a little bit. Um, although, honestly, watching Alex Smith quarterback is the most uncomfortable thing for me in all of football right now. Yeah. I'm like, anytime he takes a hit. God, uh, yes. every time he moves backwards and someone's running towards him, I'm just oh. like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I mean, his wife, I mean, she really like was watching like this. I, I got to ask each of you, like if your significant other had gone through the injury and the recovery that he had, what would the conversation be like in your household when your significant other said, yeah, I want to go back and play again. Would you have been like, bully for you, go for it. Like, I love you and I support you. Or it would have been like, no freaking way. Like, come on. Yeah, I don't think, yeah I, I, here's the thing. I, I think I would be much more comfortable watching Alex Smith pay, play if I hadn't watched that documentary. And got to see his whole bone, you know, exposed on his, it was so gross. And I, I mean, I'm a little touchy when it comes to, you know, ankles and legs as it is, but I'm just saying it was just, I think I'd be better off and, and knowing what that must look like as if his wife, I kind of get both sides of it. I get the mental aspect of you have to let him get back to where he was in order to move past it. Okay. I get that. Congratulations. You threw a pass. Good for you. Get your ass on the bench. I would I'd be like one pass. You did it. You're back on the team. Now sit down because I mean after all they went through to just get him to be able to walk again, I don't think I could tolerate. I, maybe that's selfish. I don't know, but I sure, but you, but know, you he might not have had a say in it. He might just have been, I'm doing it anyway. So, you know, what's scary about that whole situation is a lot of people don't realize that he like almost died. Almost died. Yeah. Like, like infection almost mm-hmm. died multiple times. Yeah. I have to watch that ESPN thing. It was, it kind of reminds you though, just how brutal, football is and like this is a it can be a life and death sport yeah like look what happened to Bo Scarborough this week like oh heartbreaking but like that that is my, I have nightmares like that is the if you've done anything athletic or approaching athletic in your life and the idea of having literally like a muscle tear from someone like yeah. leaning oh my god it's un, unintentionally mm-hmm. Oh, that is like up there in worst yeah. nightmares. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, I, I'm reminded to Evan's point about we have to remember what this sport is. I was at the Dallas game um, in the stands when Ricardo Lockett was hit. Oh. And he was just down on the ground. Well, from our vantage point, because, of course, 
we weren't getting play-by-play. We didn't know who it was. We knew it was a Seahawks player. And so I'm all over Twitter trying to find out who it is. And then I'm reading Twitter and you're just standing there, just gobsmacked. And I will tell you the Dallas fans around me were like, Oh my God, I hope he's okay. This is so scary. But you know, in that moment, we didn't know if he was even alive on the ground. So, you know, you're, you're right. So as a spouse, maybe of someone who plays a sport and, you know, yeah, it's broken bones. I just, I just don't know that I could handle it. I don't, I couldn't go watch it. I don't think. Yes. But here's the thing. Alex is making 16 million this year. Is he really making that much? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I would that. hope that's not what it's about. You know what I mean? Uh, I, would hope I think it's more about kind of proving that he kind of sending a message to his family of just like overcoming. And yeah, that's what I, I hope. I got to say it is, it is inevitable that he is going to get injured inevitable oh man i hope and, not. And i i don't want that i'm not like cheering for that in any way but like you cannot play with like a toothpick for a leg in the nfl and think that you're gonna survive like that's just i oh that's why it's like i can't watch i just 36 he's probably got six games left in his I career think, god i I think, I, I think alex take the money take the six games and just go live safe. your life yeah, Time to dip. Go buy a really nice house. Made, in the as Hampton. long as you didn't blow all your money, like get out. Yeah. Washington's gonna want a new quarterback next year. Okay. All right. Well, we are plenty yeah. of people in chat are like, you ever listen to podcasts and you're like, oh my God, they think people care about their lives. They think <laughs> people care about their opinion. They come to talk about the Seahawks. Stop talking about everything but the Seahawks. Talk about them already. Right. Okay. We hear you. We get it. I understand. I've been there before. You know, if you don't listen live, that's why you're able to fast forward through the beginning. I do that with my other podcasts. So, um, but as we've told people on Twitter, we don't pre-plan our topics. We just like getting to, we don't get to see each other more than once a week. So we're going to catch up. Wait, we don't put a ton of planning into this. We don't like draft agendas and like topics and follow-up questions. We don't do that. No, none of that. Okay. It, Okay. It is genuine. That is part of our charm. Um, at least that's part of Dana's charm. The rest of us, I don't know. Ryan, that qu- that question actually cracked me up tonight. <laughs> it was like, it was like it, the the implication was like, how much prep do you do your for do for your podcast? It's like I don't think we've ever done a single moment, a minute of prep. We've done, we've done a little, but but like I've talked to I have a bunch of other friends that do different pods um, over different topics, and some of them super successful, and they do like you know, topics they do, they prep even like for radio shows, they'll, they'll text each other and they'll have like a pre-show, like, you know, list of topics and they'll go through that. And like, there's a professional way to do it, but here's the thing. This podcast is about people that love the Seahawks and it's about people that like each other. And I didn't say love because it varies. Honestly, <laughs> I don't always love you guys. Sometimes I just like you, but um, yeah, we're just here to like obsess about this team um, with no other agenda. And, and so with that in mind, I guess I want to start with a, a topic that Dana brought up pre-show, like when we were just getting ready before we went live. And she's like, is anyone really worried about the Seahawks losing this game? And I'm like, I'll raise my hand on that. Like the Seahawks play the Eagles, the Jets, the Giants, the Washington football team over the next four games. The storyline is generally, those are four like gimmies. There's no gimme 
period in the NFL. And there's certainly no gimme when you're the Seahawks. Like the Seahawks don't play gimme games. And this Eagles game on Monday night football in Philadelphia, when this team is like, I don't know if they're at their bottom, but they're certainly like they're their backs are against the wall. They absolutely believe that they're in, they, they lead the division, right? Like, I do think that this is a game that if the Seahawks, here's the thing, if the Seahawks offense doesn't have as much of an advantage against this Eagles defense as they have against some other teams, Brandon Shell's not going to play. This is probably the best pass rush the Seahawks have faced all year. And if Carson Wentz finds his footing, Zach Ertz, back for the first time in a while be playing in this game yeah this could be this could be the kind of game where it's like oh my god how why did this have to be the game that Carson Wentz looked like an NFL quarterback that could be this game so yeah I do have some concerns Jeff I hear you I see you nodding Where, where are you at on this I'm in the same spot I think the games that honestly scare me the most are the ones that everyone's like well the Seahawks are definitely going to win and everyone just counts it up as a win. I'm more confident when they're playing like someone who's similar to them or a little better. These are the games that always kind of scare me. And I, I can tell you, I write articles now for uh, Yahoo in Canada and I do like a weekly observation article. And I did a lot of digging into Carson Wentz's numbers after the game last week. And I wrote an article this week saying that he should be benched, that he's mentally, he looks broken mentally. His, the stats on him are really bad. He, he leads the NFL interceptions. He's second last in the league in completion percentage, and he's 27th in QBR. And I think he's the worst in the league when he's under pressure, in turn, according to QBR. But every day I'm looking on Twitter and I'm seeing a radio show or something just being like, should Carson Wentz be benched? Should Carson Wentz be benched? I'm getting a little worried that this is the week he breaks out a bit just because of my like neurotic tendencies and just how bad the Seahawks secondary has been just hearing all week, how bad he is. And I know Doug Peterson was on like Rich Eisen's show today and they were asking the same questions. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like you, Brian, I'm a little worried that all of a sudden he has that snap out and we're like, how the fuck did this happen? And cause he's here, he's definitely hearing it. And if you've watched him play, it's not the eye test too. It's the stats. It's everything. He looks like he's the worst quarterback in the NFL this year. That's crazy. He was so good. I mean, okay. so good. Not that long ago. I don't know. Um, Dana, I mean, I want to hear your thoughts on this in general, but one of my thoughts this weekend, watching the Colts and the Packers play, thank you, Indianapolis for finally not shooting yourselves like 10 more times in the, I've never seen a team try harder to lose when they well, were winning. You've but, watched a lot of Seahawks games over there. Oh, no, this is, I think this is worse. Just holding calls. Oh my God. I've never seen anything like that. It's 30. But what occurred to me is maybe Frank Reich was to Doug Peterson, what Kyle Shanahan was to Dan Quinn. Mm. And I don't know if, I mean, everyone gave Doug Peterson the credit for Carson Wentz. How's Carson Wentz looked since Frank Reich left? I don't know the exact time. I haven't even looked this up, but like this might be a, go ahead, Jeff. It was right after the Super Bowl year. Uh, Josh McDaniels was originally hired and then he, Failed. From down the job, and they accidentally stumbled into right. So tell me and- if I'm wrong. That's that's 
aligns exactly with when Wentz just fell. No, it's, and if you remember that game where Seattle played him last year, where they couldn't sack anyone and had like six sacks against him, he was throwing the ball into the ground. So Dana, mm-hmm. you are you are among other things our resident optimist, which which we and others love about you. So you're feeling pretty confident about this game. I, I do feel pretty good about this game. I, I think that um, I think they're going to keep throwing Carson Wentz out there until he's literally broken. I think that at this point, it almost seems like Peterson is trying to prove a point. No, we're fine. No, we're fine. No, we're fine. And the more you push that narrative, the worse it gets. It just puts so much pressure on Carson Wentz's shoulders to fix whatever is broken. But it's not just him. That We know that. There's a lot of other issues. But he has a 58% completion rating. I mean, it's, he's a mess. He's a disaster. Now, if you go about the Colts, was it right? It could very well be, but I will say Carson Wentz is no, and it really pains me to say this because I really don't like Philip Rivers, but he is no Philip Rivers. And which is sad because at the Super Bowl year, we all thought that's right where he was going. He was going to be right up there with all the rest of the good quarterbacks. And then even with injury after injury, Nick Foles coming in and saving the day, Maybe there were red flags that we, you know, weren't taking seriously enough, but he has his good moments, but I just don't see it in this game under the bright lights of Monday night football, where the Seahawks always shine. I mean, what is that record? It's a ridiculous record for primetime games. And so I just feel like the Seahawks are the better team without question of the two. They are in a better place. They have a quarterback that can win games for them. I don't think Carson Wentz can win these games for them if they do get too far behind. And then you add on Seattle also coming back up from a couple of really bad games. So they're very pumped and wanting to show everyone they're back. I just, I just think there's just too many advantages for Seattle at this point, even with the questionable secondary. And if they decide to put Jalen Hurts in there, Do you really want that kid to have Jamal Adams running down his throat every play? Because you know, that's exactly what will start to happen. But I will say this, and I will pound this forever. I want Brandon Graham in Seattle and I don't know how it needs to be done. I don't care who you have to get rid of except for a handful of people. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL and I love to watch him play and he could cause some problems. As always, we agree, or agree, Dana, as always. Dang it. I'll try harder next time. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 true. I mean, Graham's going to have potentially a really positive matchup depending on how they play the right tackle position. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan, I have a I have a I have a question for you. Would the Seahawks have a better chance of winning this game in Philadelphia with fans in the stands or without? And I'll let you kind of like contemplate that for a second. That's interesting. That's With question. or without fans in Philadelphia, they're they're hostile. <laughs> Their audio video guy booed them. I think the Seahawks would have a better chance of winning this game with Philly fans in the stadium. I literally started writing that, like writing my tail tape article this morning about like, uh, whence if he goes the wrong way. The fans are going to be, oh, they're not going to even be there. I don't think we as Seahawks fans realize just how ruthless Eagles fans are. Oh, yeah. Like, they are a ruthless fan base. When they won the Super Bowl, they almost burned down their city. 
<laughs> so they're they're famous for booing Santa Claus. That's like the thing. In having your own jail, Philly fans. But my one of my best friends is an Eagles fan, and the texts I get from him on Sunday are like, "Evan, you sound like a saint compared to this guy." Like <laughs> texts like that are the most insane. Like he hates Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson, even though they won the Super Bowl like two years ago. Like more than any person. More than you can hate it. Like, more than Derek hates John Snyder. so interesting to me. And it's funny. Like, I was saying this in our thread. Like, it's really funny how quickly things change. And mm-hmm. Doug Peterson was the guy, like, the master of analytics and the two-point conversion. If you watch an Eagles game, and I've watched a bunch, he seems lost. He seems like they're trying to fit in Jalen Hurts, and they're trying to – he seems lost. And the, the Frank Reich thing comes up all the time with Philly. And Roseman is a guy that we all thought in our thread was maybe the best general manager in the NFL. Like Roseman. And the last two years, they took Arcega Whiteside over DK Metcalf, which was a guy they were all clamoring for. And then this year, they had Justin Jefferson sitting on the board, and they took Jalen Ragor. And those two picks get mentioned basically every single day on Twitter. If you read an Eagles tweeter, if you read Shield Capadia or anyone like that. And Howie Roseman is now, they're like 70, Evan, you know it's better than me. They're like 80 million over the cap next year. Philly fans hate that team right now. I, it, I think that's – It's. I mean, I would not want to be an Eagles fan. Well, Brian, can I flip this question to you? Yeah. So something I've been thinking about all week. And, Dana, I'm actually in your camp. I. I this is maybe the game I feel most comfortable mm-hmm. about the rest of the season in the remaining six games. Yeah, on the Jets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually feel more comfortable about this game with how, with how Carson Wentz is playing. I really do. Uh, Brian, would you feel more or less comfortable if Jalen Hurts was starting on Monday night? I've been thinking about that a lot. I really um, have. I, I know where you're at on this because <laughs> because you always go for the new and the unknown and, and buy into the hype. Like, the unknown well, is worth something, though, Brian. It really I, I is. I think Jalen Hurts, I think he's going to be a train wreck. I mean, I think he'll have there's – hmm. there's a few things that he can do um, as a more athletic quarterback that – Wentz has never been a bad runner, by the way. But, but like, um, yeah, Hurts would bring some different things. But is he going to be able to read a defense? Is he going to be able to, like – make the throws that he needs to make. I was never impressed with him as a college quarterback. Can Carson Wentz do that right now? No, but like I put a lot more. I mean, look, my answer was a very bland answer, which is the same. Like Hertz would bring some things that Wentz doesn't. He would also not bring some things that Wentz does. And, and so I don't think there would be enough of a difference where I'd feel like better or worse about the game. That's a pretty boring answer. So in general, I would probably feel a little bit better with Hertz playing than with, than with Wentz. There. I, I, I wanted I to ask Wentz do things that like when I still remember when they came to Seattle a few years back and I was in the stands and I like the Seahawks, I felt pretty good. The Seahawks won the game, but I was like, wow, Wentz made like a number of elite throws, like, I, I could not believe that he made some of those throws. Throws that I, I've seen every quarterback come into what is now Lumen Field and not make those throws. And he just stood in there against like 
pretty furious pass rush and against the, the fans. And I was just super impressed by him. So it's hard for me to get that out of my brain. I don't think Jalen Hurts has that in him. I know that Carson Wentz does, even if he hasn't shown it this year. So to me, the bigger question is not the quarterback. It's their offensive line. Yeah, that's Jay- what I was about to bring up. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, Jeff. So the Eagles, if you follow them, they're known for one thing. It's their offensive line. And this year they haven't had left tackle Andre Dillard, who played college football at where you guys live, uh, Washington State. They haven't had Brandon Brooks. And Lane Johnson's been in and out of the lineup all year, and I don't know if he's going to play. I think it was he was pulled from the last game. And they have Jason Peters, who's like 39 years old, who was planned to play guard. He's been playing left tackle this year. And they went from having a historically like good offensive line the last couple of years to one of the worst in the NFL this year. They have backup after backup after backup. They have a really good center. But other than that, so this is a game where like Carlos Dunlap could feast on them. And Dunlap against like a 38-year-old Jason Peters. And if we're going to talk about things we should be thankful for, it's Carlos Dunlap. But this is a game where Seahawks pass rush could dominate them. And remember last year, Ziggy Onsad even dominated them last year. So it's true. <laughs> well, Jason Peters, I don't know if how close you guys have been following the Eagles fan base, but Jason Peters has been an absolute disaster this year. Like that extension or one-year deal they signed him to, Eagles fans are furious over. Yeah. It's been catastrophic. Brandon, Brandon Brooks got hurt in the preseason. So they brought in him in to play guard. And he'd never played guard in his career. And then Dillard got hurt. So they had to kick him out to left tackle and he just football happens fast guys. Once they get old, they, they, they go from like, okay to horrible very quickly. And if you watch certain players, like he looks horrible and he's borderline unplayable right now. And if you don't have a playable left tackle, we've seen it with the Seahawks it just disrupts everything you do. Well, I have a question for you guys on this. So, so you've got Jason Peters who we talked about has struggled this year. Um, You've got Lane Johnson, who left the Browns game, and the word I've seen is that there's a chance he may not come back this season, Um, so it doesn't seem probable that he'll play. Jason Kelsey, their center, left the game briefly. They talk about he's an Ironman, he'll start his 100 straight game or whatever, like all this crazy stuff. He couldn't snap his own helmet in the Browns game because his arm was like he basically couldn't lift his arm to snap his helmet. To tell me that he's going to be able to, I mean, there's differences between being able to play and actually being able to have all your faculties when you're playing. So there's people that play injured and actually hurt their teams by doing that. So you've got those three guys um, and then backups that are challenging. I mean, Jack Driscoll is your right tackle potentially. Like, so my question, and I'll go with you, Dana, on this. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks have shown the ability to both blitz and to just rush four. In fact, Carlos Dunlap's sack to seal that game against the Cardinals came when they rushed just three. What do you want to see from the Seahawks in terms of strategy come Monday with that offensive line? Are you wanting them to overwhelm them with blitzes and potentially leave guys a little bit, you know, challenged in the secondary? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to see them rush for and drop into coverage um, and, and just try to win that way? Um, it, it's a good question. 
because we've seen what happens when all they do is blitz, right? Then that leaves the back end completely open. Um, but I don't, and I don't know the I don't know the depth of the Eagles team very well. I'll admit that. So I don't know how their backups are. Um, but what what are the what's Carson Wentz complete completion ratios on, ratio on or completion percentage on his long balls? Like, is he is he throwing well? Is he not throwing well? I'll let you know in a second. Okay, so I, I would I would say this. I think that if they have a very damaged line, and if I did, like I said, I don't know the backups really well. So if the backups aren't super solid or they're rookies or whatever, then I think putting more pressure on that line, getting Carson Wentz to jump. I definitely think it was Jalen Hurts. That's exactly what you want to do, but not the blitz, 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 blitz. I think Carlos Dunlap has proven that he, along with the other guys, can kind of handle that front a little better. I do like Jamal Adams. I know I might get some some guff for that, but I do like him blitzing just maybe, like we said before, not as much as before. But I, I guess I would have to know what Carson Wentz is looking like when he's throwing deep, when he's going long. Okay, so Carson Wentz deep passing. Uh, this is from Pro Football Focus. Okay. Uh, he ranks 31st among quarterbacks in passer rating at 64.2. He's run four touchdowns and five interceptions. Um, his... Com- it makes me happy <laughs> his let's see make sure i've got this right but uh his adjusted completion ratio uh, our percentage is 41 and a half percent by comparison mm-hmm. russell wilson actually completes 43 and a half so it's not a huge difference but but russell wilson's passer uh, rating on deep pass is 101 so 101 Jeez. versus uh 64.2 Russell Wilson surprisingly ranks 13th in the NFL. Um, this is something he usually is close to the top. Interestingly, Daniel Jones is number one in the NFL. In- I'm a little nervous about that Giants game. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I, I think I think then if we don't have to worry about our cornerbacks, I, I, Shaquille Griffin should be back this week. Is that Did I read that correctly? That correct. Yes. And so that makes me feel a little bit better. I don't know who will be on the other side of him. We'll have to kind of wait and see, but um, hmm? probably Trey. Probably Trey. That's what I'm thinking. Cause I Trey, feel, yeah, he's I feel like better. we haven't seen Shaq play in forever. I know it really hasn't been. Like, it it feels like forever. I don't even know when it was. Evan, last. you were like a scorned lover with Shaquille Griffin. <laughs> like you were so bullish on him. coming. Oh, I totally he, was. He didn't play uh, well. And now you can't, you can't stomach even. I know because me, me and Brian were saying it made sense. They didn't extend him and you were not. 100%. I mean, I mean, I have no. One second. Here's the thing. I let, let my thought is then if we're, if we're not too concerned about those deep balls that, you know, about them throwing along and he's having, even with Zach Ertz back, I mean, he'll be. Zach, Zach Ertz is fantastic. Sucks. Zach Ertz isn't good anymore. But well, he's definitely struggled. Is that once his fault? I mean, there's just so many pieces there. So I, I would say I put, put some pressure on there, not blitz all the time, but definitely keep some pressure on, okay. on that. Line. Zach Ertz has no game over has one game over 70 yards. Every other game is under 40 yards. And how long has he been out? Is it just a couple of weeks? He's, I feel terrible. I don't know that. Like been they've been trying to sign him, but he's 30 now. And 30. So. Let me ask you this, guys. So flipping it around to the other guy worries me more. Um, Seahawks mm. are getting back. Shaquille Griffin, Ethan Posick, and Chris Carson. Which of those do you think is 
are you most excited about that you think is, is the most important for the CRX get back? Jeff, let's start with you. Ethan Posick, 100%. Interesting. Um, they're playing Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave this week. Um, th- this also kicks Damian Lewis back to right guard. So puts him in a more advantageous spot. And you saw what happened when Kyle Fuller played. The center position was not great. They had super low PFF grade. There was a fumble. Uh, Ethan Posick was one of the surprises of the season. I think especially in this matchup where you have, and especially in the Giants game, I think coming up where you have very good groups of defensive tackles coming back to back. And if you, if you want to be scared of the Eagles, if watch Fletcher Cox against Joey Hunt last year, that will give you nightmares. Uh, the two games they played him, he just, it was a wrecking ball. So having a competent center and D- Damian Lewis, I don't think we spent enough time talking about how competent he was doing a job he's never done before in four days rest, like incredible. But to get like a, a quality center back in this matchup, I think is super important as much as I do like the other two guys. Interesting. Dana, how about you? I, I think that it'll be the combination of Posick and Carson Wentz, or I mean, and Chris Carson. I think that that, you know, you getting him Carson back. Wentz. I did. I'm sorry. I was thinking, oh, I was reading Carson. Sorry. Um, but Chris, because I think that having them back, having that solid at center, you know, and I agree. I gave Damian Lewis kudos on Twitter. He, he deserved that. I, he looked saw. I didn't see him in the game, which I think is the best thing you can say about someone who's never played a position before. I just didn't see him. So, um, and so I think having Chris Carson back is really important. I was reading though, that, you know, this defense is good, but they're pretty good against the run, but having those, those two pieces back, I think will make a huge, huge difference. So I am, I'm pretty excited to get our running back. I don't like the idea that, you know, our quarterback is our number one runner right now. Yeah. um, Evan, I'm interested in your thoughts on this too. So the question is the Seahawks are getting back Ethan Posick, Shaquille Griffin, and Chris Carson. Which of those players are you most excited to add back to the Seahawks? And as you think about that for a second, I'll say, um, for me, it's Shaquille Griffin, not specific to this game, but for the overall, like strength of the team, mm-hmm. I think corner play has been the biggest problem with this team and any addition, like I still put Shaquille Griffin as probably the best corner on the team. Um, I don't think he's a great corner, but I think he is the best corner that they've got right now. Um, and so I think that that has the potential to really help the pass rush also get better, better coverage. It helps DJ Reed move back to nickel potentially. Um, there's just a lot of things about that that I think can be really positive. Um, but I also am really curious, like this team, this Eagles team, what their strength is by far is their pass rush. They have a monster, monster defensive line. And one of the ways that you can deal with that is better blocking pass protection. The other way is to run at them mm-hmm. and, and keep them from just pinning their ears back. And so I think Chris Carson potentially could be a really useful tool in this game. So Evan, I'm kind of curious, where, where are you on those three guys? Ethan Posick, Shaquille Griffin, and Chris Carson. Do I need to say anything because you completely stole my answer? Sure. Please say something. Uh, Shaquille Griffin easily. Uh, I think cornerback is easily the most disappointing 
positional group on this on this uh, defense. I expected a lot more out of Quinn Dunbar. I expected a lot more out of Shaquille Griffin. I thought Shaquille, even when he was healthy, was playing very below, you know, much below his talent level. If Shaquille can come back and play like the 2019 Shaquille, it's a huge upgrade for this defense. A huge, huge upgrade. The secondary has been problematic all year long. Uh, the pass rush unexpectedly has been um, pretty decent so far. It seems to be coming along with, you know, Daryl Taylor coming back next week. Um, Shaquille Griffin is the player that is most impactful to me. If you know, Ethan Posick honestly has been really underrated all year long. He's in the last year of his deal. He's probably somebody that Seattle should extend. Um, yeah, I, I think it's Shaquille Griffin, like you said. I don't think it's a flashy answer, but it's him. And can right. I interject there too really quick? I, I think that's interesting. We have to remember that Shaquille is also in a contract year. So if he comes back and he plays really, really well, I hope he comes back and plays really, really well trying to get some bigger numbers because the beginning of the year was a little rough for him. It, it was for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I will not repeat what I've said for the past few times about Ethan Posick, but I'm definitely not uh... – not on the same page as Evan about extending him. What would you give him? Uh, I, think, uh, I think it would be a major mistake to. Extend. At what price is it a mistake? I think almost any price. Really? Yeah. No, he's I, not. I don't know if I he's buy a that. League Brian. average center. He's a league average center. We're celebrating because he's a league average center, and he's been injured almost every year. Do we have anything close to a league average center behind him? Yeah, we absolutely Who? do. What's what's their names? Damian Lewis, Phil Hayes. Oh, Damian Lewis is right guard. Position. Come on. No, absolutely. Like, it's not a hard position to fill. I, I think I think we've just proven Ethan Posick was bad as a guard. Justin Britt was bad as a guard and bad as a tackle. They both were fine centers. It's fine. Like, I don't think I, – I do not think keeping Ethan Posick is a good idea. Did you idea. give him six mil a year? This is an off-season conversation. I'm going to move us along. <laughs> so I, 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 I have another question for you guys because I found myself getting caught. This is related to the offensive lines, related to this. So I was like, God dang it, Jeff, they're going to play this Cedric Agboehi guy at right tackle. I know they're just going to do it. And I'm annoyed because like, I think Jamarco Jones should be the guy that plays right tackle. And then I thought to myself, is that an outdated defense mechanism with this team? Has Mike Solari proven that he knows better than we do about who should be playing which position? Has he been putting any guys out there that really shouldn't be out there? We all panned the Brandon Shell move. It's been a freaking fantastic. He put Posick in there, who's been playing just fine. He re-signed Upati, who we all thought was maybe a questionable move. He's been fantastic this year. Like Damian Lewis, put him in as a rookie. Like, are we at the point where we should just be like, if Mike Solari plays him, it's the right move? Yeah, probably. Mike Solari's good. Like, I know people were quite down on him last year, and I would argue against it because I thought their personnel was bad last year. They had a weakness at center and they had a weakness at right tackle and right guard that no coach could overcome. And yeah, if you look at all the draft picks he's made and for the most part, other than BJ Finney, most of it has been pretty good, but like you, it was kind of funny. Me and Evan were texting each other, the second Brandon shell went out and we were both pretty upset and Cedric, Oboyhi, who is a top 30 pick 
by the Bengals. He came in right away and gave up like an instant pressure in Russell's face. So I too would like to see Jamarco Jones in there. I think he's a much more polished player. But yeah, I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like this year, especially, but between Jordan Simmons and Posick and their draft picks, they've had a pretty impressive hit rate. And like their offensive line across the board has been like all their decisions have been good. And this isn't Tom Cable. Like they aren't laughable and they aren't a joke. Like Mike Solari's done very good development and very good evaluations. And yeah, I think if he makes a way the right tackle. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm like you. I would like to see Jamarco Jones start there. I felt the need to actually look this up because I feel like I'm butchering his name. According to the internet, which is never wrong, um, the way to pronounce his name is Obwehi. There's no G. The G is silent. So he was a he was a high pick in the draft by the Bengals. He was a first rounder, right? He and Jermaine Fetty went to the same school. Classic. Uh, Texas A&M kind of had similar careers so far. Um, so I don't know. He hasn't looked great when I've seen him in spot duty and he was brought in to be like a last resort who can play both spots, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if he plays on. I would be pretty hyped if Jamarco Jones plays right. Now. Every time he gets spot duty, he's great. Uh, yeah, I except for a lot of left tackle game. I don't want to talk about that. Ever yeah, again. but he played left tackle earlier this year for a few snaps and looked really good. So uh, Jamarco Jones is a great guy to have in your offensive line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the untold stories of this season, folks. I mean, yeah, the Seahawks have lost Upati, their starting left guard, for a number of games. George Simmons comes in, nobody like even notices. Like the the offense just rolls on. They lose Ethan Posick for a few games. You notice, but it's not it's not a disaster. Like uh, they they do all right. Um, you know, right guard. Like you know, they've they've had to cycle some guys in there. Damian Lewis, I think, has, has either missed time or had to shift over. Like they've played a lot of guys on the offensive line, and a lot of them have looked pretty good. So it's it's you know, I I don't know if Jordan Simmons. That's a question I haven't heard asked whether he's back this week. He had the calf injury, but you know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that, that line plays against a really good defensive uh, front. So, um, Dana. Simmons is questionable. Just He's so questionable. Know. Okay. Mm-hmm. DK Metcalf has owned the, the soul of the Eagles. Like, <laughs> even in the game where he dropped passes and, like, should have had a bigger game the first time they played last year. He still was killing him. And then in the playoff game, he set a rookie record for, for playoff uh, receiving yards in the game against the Eagles. The tallest, the tallest Eagles cornerback is Darius Slay at six feet. Avante Maddox is five, nine. <laughs> if, if you're the Seahawks, I mean, what, what is a realistic, like, what is your, what is your expectation for how DK Metcalf gets used? By the way, learn today. It is DK without a period between D or after K. It is just DK, which as someone who writes, I'm super thrilled (laughs) to not have to have those periods. Um, So, so yeah, what, What's the, what's the expectation for how, how the Seahawks utilize DK in this game and how much of a, a focus point should he be? 
So I want to say something before I talk about that. So I hope you guys all saw DK completely on chat. If you haven't looked that up, go look up DK's account. It was hilarious. So anyway, um, I think that they need to use him a lot. I think that we, they've already proven that he's very effective against this Eagles team. And I, I hope that that Russell just throws that long ball all day long and, and just lets him go up and get it. Just lets him go up and fight for it because obviously he can, and he has, I had no idea the height of their corners. So that makes me feel even better. But I think that with his strength and his speed, that's going to be a really easy. Okay. I'm going to take the word easy back. Cause there's nothing easy in the NFL, but it's going to be kind of an obvious target and an obvious use. My question I wonder though, is how much, they will, the Eagles will completely focus on him. And if they do completely focus on decaf, what a lot of teams are doing. So then do you, does that open up Lockett so much more and you can use him more. And so then he can do kind of those shorter routes or whatever he needs to do those beautiful sideline catches. But I'm assuming that that DK will be a focus and should be a focus for this team. But I did read that it might be, as you alluded to earlier, Brian, that it might be smarter to run the ball down this team's throat. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance that, especially after Pete said, I'm sure to the sadness of everyone in this group, that they needed a little more balance. I'm not convinced of that. I think it's kind of smoke and mirrors a little bit. I'm just going to say, but. Let me put it this way. I think their run defense is better than we think. And the rest of the run defense. It is. Phillies run defense like they're ranked they're ranked sixth six mm-hmm. in uh yards per carry given up and if you take out like their top it was that. like the Daniel Jones like 85 yard mm-hmm. run and yep. it was like one other run then they're like second or third in yards per them carry. down to like three and a half yards a carry yeah so I'm not saying that's not the correct uh mm-hmm. approach I'm just saying their run defense is better than what I think people think it is no, the, the strength of their team is defensive tackles and I, Evan I know you talk a lot about Hargrave mm-hmm. who's had a bad year from a pass rushing standpoint but him Fletcher Cox I don't know if Malik Jackson's gonna play they have very good defensive tackles mm-hmm. that's the strength of their team Oof, I'm looking at forecast person. right now guys 80 percent chance of rain you guys in this rain. You could I say something? In the rain. Guys, this is a game that Seattle's defense could really win the game for them. Yeah. This it really could. Like, like Carson Wentz leads leads the league in turnovers in both interceptions as well as turnovers and combined. Uh, their offensive line is putrid. Seattle's pass rush has been coming along as mm-hmm. of recently. Like, there's a good chance that that's what happens. And that the Eagles have had one interception this year. One. Really? One interception? One. Yeah, like Darius Slay has apparently done pretty well. I think they'll line him up on DK the whole game. Because if you remember that playoff game last year, that was why they traded for Darius Slay. Like DK embarrassed them in that playoff game. I'm kind of curious, like, what makes you say that Slay has been playing well? Because by the numbers, he hasn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Three, three interceptions. Sorry. <laughs> I think I, maybe I'm wrong. I remember reading just like he shut down a lot of opposing receivers. He's guarded. I could be wrong on this. I can't tell you. I spent a ton of time watching the Eagles defense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I looked at it this morning, I mean, basically Slay is given up 
like over 70% completion rate so far this year. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I've always see, thought he was a good corner, but he's the numbers that I was, what's that? He's not Jalen Ramsey. He's not, he's not. And I guess, I guess one of the things I'm most impatient with right now with the Seahawks, and it's both the, the play calling and Russell is the targets for DK. He yeah. should be a 10 target a game, no matter who you're playing player. He has reached that level. Mm-hmm. You should be finding a way to force the defense to guard him at least 10 times a game. And if he start, if he his, his catch rate is low still and he's dropping passes, then that's something that DK has got to work on, but you cannot let a defense take him away. You just can't. I mean, if you were playing Julio Jones and they just didn't target him, you'd be thrilled. You would be thrilled. If you're playing Calvin Johnson, if you're playing, you know, pick your favorite receiver, like you would be thrilled if you just didn't target that guy. If, if the opposing team didn't target that guy. So the Seahawks have to have to make DK Metcalf a central part of this offense and make teams defend him. Um, I'm personally super excited about Chris Carson coming back. I think that regardless of whether the Eagles run defense, and I think Evan brought up some good points about the run defense. I, I don't think they're bad for sure, but Chris Carson isn't just a runner. Like he is, he is the most complete back they've got from a pass protection receiver and runner. And, you know, this is a guy that, that the offense is better when he's in there. And yeah. we're going to see, like, I don't think the offense has been great since he's been out. I'm not certain that that's because he's been out and not just a coincidence, but um, there's no doubt to me that he, they are better when, when Chris Carson's in there. So, yeah. I know Nathan probably won't agree, but um, I do think it's factored in. And I, I think you saw with Carlos Hyde and, the powerful running style, just having, I know everyone thinks running backs are the same, but there is a difference between Carlos Hyde and like an Alex Collins or DJ Dallas, having that big, strong, powerful running back that knows what he's doing. It does help. And it it makes things easier for Russell. And it's not the biggest deal, but to have Carson and Hyde now back as a a one, two punch, I think that adds an area to their offense. They just didn't have during that ugly stretch. And uh, I think, Carson's ability to just to turn like a two yard run into a seven yard run. That's not nothing, but it, I think it does make a difference. And having that just one of the top 10 running backs in the league, it does help. It's not, not going to make or break them, but him and Hyde to me, excite me. And like having Hyde back in the lineup to me, change things. Chris Carson um, has had 22 receptions for 147 yards on top of his running. So, yeah. I mean, I think he just, he can do more. I, I want to apologize. I, I'm sorry. The Eagles have three interceptions. I read the wrong little column there, but, um, but yeah, I think that, 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 no, not a lot. but they definitely, because Chris Carson can do both. It's just such a dual threat that even if let's say the run defense does show up and is crazy good, they can use them in other ways. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. You bring up the, the turnover thing. So, so here's the thing, guys. I'd like to hear this from each of you. What is the one stat that needs to be true in order for the Seahawks to win? And I'll give you a chance to think about it. Cause I'll start and, and, and don't say score. Like they score 50, like <laughs> pick something that is at least worth conversation. Okay. Um, I, I, I trust all of you with, with that, at least two of you um, with that. <laughs> so 
for me, the number is two takeaways. Two takeaways. You get two takeaways, you win this game. And the Seahawks have had one takeaway over the last three games after leading the NFL in takeaways coming into that. And this is the 30th ranked team in the NFL in giveaways. Um, and we've talked about their offensive line challenges. We've talked about the fact that Seahawks have pass rush. We've talked about the fact that Shaquille Griffin's coming back. Jamal Adams should hopefully be healthier, have both arms to play with. Like, get two takeaways. And, and I, I think that that's not an unreasonable request. It is not something you can control. But I think that to me, that's an indication of how aggressive the defense is playing and how much they're on the Eagles side of the line of scrimmage versus on their heels. So that's, that's like, I think that's more important. Like, I think that's a, a sure bet than even some of the offensive numbers potentially. So I'm curious um, who wants to go first on that or second as it may be. I'll go. The boys are, the boys are too deep in thought. You can just see it. There's the smoke is a coming there. <laughs> They're thinking about you. Well, interesting to what you said, you know, Carson Wentz has 14 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. I mean, two takeaways to be to me, doesn't sound like it should be hard. Now we know with this defense, everything can be hard, but <laughs> to me, to me, I think it has to be, even with that good run game, I, I feel like we have, they have to have a solid game. So I'm going to say, I'd love to say a hundred yards out of Chris Carson. I don't know that that'll happen. I'd be happy with 75, 75 and at least a touchdown out of Chris Carson. You have to get that run game to, to, to pull that game forward a little bit so that then Russell can do his thing with DK and Tyler further down the line. But I think that you have to do that. Um, we have to establish that run game. So I'm thinking you have to get at least a touchdown and at least I really want a hundred yards, I, I'm, but I'm going to stick with 75 out of Chris Carson. All right. Evan. Yeah, similar to what you said, Brian, I think if you get even an interception, just one, you break Carson Wentz confidence, any little confidence that he had going into that game on Monday night. I think I go back to what I said. I think this game is going to be defensively driven. I really do. Carson Wentz is not going, you know, has had a horrible year. Um, I think this is a good matchup for Seattle's defense to continue the improvements they've made over the past couple of weeks. Um, and it'd be a, you know what, it'd be a good, you know, sort of, uh, uh, not get ready, but you know, it'd be a good improvement game for the secondary, frankly. And it, it'd be nice to see the sec, you know, the corners particularly, um, make a play or two. Yeah. Jeff, how about you? Yeah. I'm more aligned with what you guys are saying. I think this is a game where the defense really has to show that the last six quarters are real. And I think this is a stretch. The whole thing I'm focused on in this whole stretch is the defense. I'm still higher on Jamal Adams than a lot of Seahawks Twitter is right now. I know I've got a buddy in Toronto who's a radio host who is a Seahawks fan. He like is hating on Jamal Adams and I'm still high on him. I would like to see them hold Philly to under 28 points. And I'd like to see that, that being the biggest stretch. I'd like to see that the defense can be competent and we mentioned Dunlap. I think Dunlap has changed the entire defense. I really do. And I'm glad to say this because a lot of people were nervous about him based on what things were coming out of Cincinnati, based on his PFF grades. Um, I was one of the people who thought he was a stud. And he looks like Frank Clark in this defense. And I think the amazing thing about him is not only does he create pressure, he creates pressure for others. 
and you saw what he did for Jer- what Frank Clark did for Jaron Reed a couple of years ago. You've started to see it with Collier and with Reed. And you saw last year Clowney kind of helped Quinn and Jefferson. And having a stud pass rusher in your defense just creates a lot. And I think this is a game where I want to see the defensive line take over. And that's how they beat the Eagles last year. Wentz is turnover prone. He fumbles the ball. He can throw into the ground. So I want to see a combination of the pass rush and Jamal Adams just take over this game. Yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, I think that the the Eagles do not really have any offensive threat, like any real threat. I mean, uh, Fulgham has had a, a decent year. Miles Sanders obviously has some talent, but there's not any like super fearsome offensive players for them. And so the Seahawks defense should be able to be pretty aggressive. Another thing is that the Seahawks have not scored a defensive touchdown all year. I'm waiting. My Quandre digs. I'm waiting. (laughs) It wouldn't be a bad time for them to break that streak. So um, I think those are all, those all make sense. Um, And you mentioned the points, Jeff, I'm going to, I've got a little streak going. I don't know how, how it'll play out, but two games ago in the Rams game, I said, you know, uh, 25 points would be enough to win that game. You know, the Rams won 23, 16, uh, next last week, I said the first team to 27 points was going to win the Seahawks Cardinals game. Seahawks, you know, won that 28, 21. I think 24 points should be enough to win this game. I think, I think that, you know, you should be able to win this game with 24 points. I don't Do you I, think I, 20 points wins this game. It could, it could like, I think if you're going to feel comfortable, I think getting into the, the low to mid twenties is a better bet that, the Eagles have not put up a lot of points against almost any team. And the thing that I will call out as much as we've complimented the Eagles defense, they have played two, two decent offenses. And I, and when I say decent Pittsburgh was one of them and Pittsburgh ranks like 15th, you know, in, in offensive efficiency in those two games, they, they did that and they faced the Rams. They gave up 37 points and 38 points in those two games. So the Seahawks are the best offense they've played. So there is there is a chance that the Seahawks are able to do more than we're, we're giving them credit for. But last question I have for you guys before we get into predictions. <clears throat> um, one player. What is the one player on the Seahawks outside of Russell Wilson that is most important for the Seahawks to win this game? And Dana, you already mentioned Chris Carson, so I'll give you a pass unless you want to add someone new. Um. But Jeff, who for you is like the guy that is most important for the Seahawks chances to win this game? I think it's Carlos Dunlop. I think this is a game where he can just feast and not only himself, he can create stuff for other people. If Lane Johnson is out, you got two weak tackles against him. He ended the game last week with sacking Kyler Murray, much more challenging. And Carson Wentz is a tough guy to bring down. He's a big dude, but Carlos Dunlap, I think he's, this is a game where he can just take over. And you saw what like Frank Clark did a couple of years ago, you saw games with Clowney. And I think that just, if he completely comes out and limits this defense, I think it makes the job on the offense so much easier. And I think he can open up things for Collier, who's been a good rusher inside all of a sudden. Puna Ford's been better. Jared Reed's been up and down, but 
I think he's the X factor in this game. Evan? Yeah, I'll go uh, specifically with the right tackle spot, but on a more broader uh, focus, the offensive line, as as you covered, uh, the Eagles have the probably the best pass rush in the NFL, frankly. Uh, number one by multiple advanced metrics. Pro Football Focus has them number one overall. Um, Brandon Shell is coming off that ankle twist from this previous week whether it's him or Cedric, whoever's playing, if this offensive line and particularly the right tackle position can hold up for Russell and this offense can get to 24 points, I completely agree with you, Ryan. I think they win comfortably. Um, But I'm very curious to see how that right tackle position plays out uh, considering that that pass rush is so strong. So we'll see what happens if Cedric ends up playing. uh, Hopefully he has a good game for us. Yeah, those are two great calls. Um, the guy for me, um, uh, other than those two, is DK Metcalf. You know, um, I think this is a game. He lit- like I absolutely feel like this is a game where he should go for 150 plus yards. Like it is time for them to just feed him, feed him. Um, and so I, I think if he becomes the factor he needs to be, it'll open up the rest of the offense um, for what needs to happen. Um, maybe even Colby Parkinson will get a target. Who knows? Um, Dana, did you want to add anyone there before we, uh, no, I completely agree with Jeff. I think this is all about Carlos Dunlap in this one. And, and I want, uh, you know, there's just some players that come to this team that just completely capture your attention because they're so in on this team. And I know he came from a weird situation. He's there, his brain is in it. And I guess he's been huge in the locker room. So I think that, you know, last week's performance, we could definitely see, you know, his importance. And I think it'll just be elevated this week. All right. So let's do predictions, folks. Um, a lot of folks are <laughs> they're on Twitter. I've seen uh, the, uh, the Real Hawk Talk crew. They're just they're not taking these games seriously. Not that it matters what any of us think, but but they feel like we're all just looking overlooking these games. Um, I'm curious. We'll start with you, Evan. Um, how do you, how do you see this game going? What's the, what's the final score? Yeah, this is uh Seattle's easiest remaining game on the schedule. I'm not saying that'll be a blowout or anything like that, but I could see it being like 34 to 17. So I guess, I, I, I guess actually a 17 point game would be a technically a blowout. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The Eagles are the weakest remaining opponent on, on the schedule. Um, we match up decently well with them. I know their pass rush is really strong, but this is a game where I firmly believe, like, if you have expectations that the Seahawks are going to reach the Super Bowl, this is a team they should really holistically beat top to bottom. And I'm not saying if it's a close game, they won't reach the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you have expectations that this is a Super Bowl team, it would be nice and encouraging to see them put a complete game against this opponent. So I'm going 34-17. Jeff? I'm pretty much in the same boat as Evan. Uh, we always talk about like how the Rams dominate the Seahawks and how they have like a uniquely built team to beat them. I think the Seahawks are uniquely built to beat the Eagles for a couple of reasons. One, Russell has a thing with them where they did not draft him. And that was a team who 
put a lot of time in him. I think Andy Reid would still be in Philadelphia if they drafted Russell Wilson. Um, he has played outstanding against that team. And I think Russell Wilson is going to have a great game. He's due for a great game. He hasn't had one in a while. And I'm going to go 31 to 20 for the Seahawks. I think it's a, it's a little too close throughout the game. And I think Wentz has a turnover down the stretch that the Seahawks flip the game on. So I do like the Seahawks in this game. I don't think it's their easiest game. I think that's obviously the Jets. But the Seahawks should win this game. The Eagles' next four games are Seattle, New Orleans, Green Bay, Arizona. So they, they're in tough here. I don't know if they're going to make a playoff run. Uh, I think once Seattle beats them, I think I think they're done. All right, Dana. Um, I agree with Jeff in that I think the Jets is the easier game. I'm nervous about the Giants game, but we'll talk about that when we get down there. I, that one makes me a little more nervous than either one of these two. Um, I actually had 31-20 also, but just to be different, I'll change it to 31-24. Um, I think that um, I think that it's. I think that everyone has already said it. This this team is is well versed in how to beat Philadelphia, and even when they're strong, they've managed to beat them. So so I just I think that this is a game I actually will be able to watch the whole entire thing without pacing up and down my back hall. That's that's my hope for this Sunday or Monday, excuse me. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think I think this will be a good win for them. All right. Well, that makes us four for four. I also expect the Seahawks to win this game. Um, I think that they're going to win it 27 to 17. And one of uh, those scores is going to be defensive or maybe special teams, but not a non-offensive touchdown. Call out a call out a player, Brian. Oh, it'll be Puna Ford. Puna Ford interception. Pick six. Oh, he's going to rumble down and it's going to be like the ball is going to come. He's going to drop it like twice. And can I just say something? I love, I love my big poo. Uh, I, I love him. (laughs) Here's one. Jordan Brooks is going to have a big. (laughs) (laughs) I intentionally didn't respond. I just wanted to leave that. You well, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's a timely conference for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, please join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, got a great, great game day chat that goes on. We've got a positive vibes only channel, which is nice uh, for when you need a little mental health break and uh, growing day by day. So it's five bucks to get in. Uh, you get immediate access as soon as you join. Go on and do it. We'd be happy to see you over there. Um, sorry, we did not take patron questions this week. Uh, just just lost track, and we'll, we'll make sure to do that next week. Um, subscribe. If you haven't already, just click the button. Click subscribe. Click the little bell to get notified when we go live. Um, we certainly will have more to talk about. We get to go through this weekend without watching a Seahawks game, so there'll be plenty of things. The, the Rams play the 49ers. Uh, all sorts of interesting things going on. So, we will talk about those things and more. Um, and if, if you haven't already, also you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all those places. So uh, have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, thank you all for, for uh, participating, joining, chatting with us. Um, we are all thankful for all of you. 
we're thankful for Seahawks and the community we've got here. So um, really appreciate you taking some time tonight. And uh, as always, go Hawks.